This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. We are in a strange new world as the coronavirus pandemic impacts every aspect of American life. As you might imagine, the civil liberties implications are significant. And I have to take a moment to tip my hat to my colleagues here in Pennsylvania and around the country who are working tirelessly to continue defending our constitutional rights. You can learn about the ACLUPA's response by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and by going to aclupa.org COVID-19. That link will be in the show notes. For this episode, we recorded our second live podcast in front of a small but hearty audience at Cinderlands in the Lawrenceville neighborhood of Pittsburgh. And fittingly, it is all about voting rights. The pandemic has delayed primary elections in some states, and at the time of this recording, we don't know yet if Pennsylvania's primary scheduled for April 28th will be delayed. Regardless, there are new laws voters should know about in preparation for the primary and for the general election, so we talked about that and other things you need to know about voting with Eileen Olmsted of the League of Women Voters of Greater Pittsburgh and ACLUPA's Sarah Rose. This conversation was recorded on March 12th. So, welcome to Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. Appreciate the fact that you are all here this evening. Uh, I realize this may be the last time that uh, we have the chance to gather in a social setting for a few weeks. Um, you, know, you know the drill, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Uh, if you're greeting each other, alternatives to the handshake, a nice bow, I like the bow. <laughs> Forearm bash is a good one as well. Uh, but seriously, I really appreciate the fact that uh, everybody came out tonight. And we are doing a live podcast. Now, if you're not quite familiar with what that term means, I will put it this way. We're not actually live anywhere at this moment besides in this room. Uh, live podcast basically means that we are recording in front of a live audience, which we don't typically do for our podcast. Um, if you're not familiar with our show, it's called Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. Uh, it's been, it started two years ago. I actually have a background going way back in radio, so this was a chance to uh, scratch that itch uh, when we started this podcast. Uh, it is available on all the various podcast apps, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and a bunch of others. So check it out. SoundCloud, it's on SoundCloud as well. So um, with that being said, I want to introduce our guests this evening. First of all, Eileen Olmsted from the League of Women Voters. and Sarah Rose from the ACLU of Pennsylvania. So Eileen is uh, the communications director for the League of Women Voters of Pennsylvania and the PR and media director for the League of Women Voters of Greater Pittsburgh. Now, the League is not just an ally of the ACLU of Pennsylvania, but they're also a client. Uh, not, and not on one, but on two cases, one of which we will talk about. Uh, this evening. But Eileen, I wanted to start with you. Um, you know, many people are familiar with the work, and I want to ask you a little bit about the work of the League. Um, but here at the ACLU, we have been talking a lot about the fact that this is our centennial. It's been 100 years since the founding of the ACLU. And I do want to note that it's also been 100 years since the founding of the League of Women Voters. Wow, I didn't know that the ACLU had been founded 100 years ago. Same year, same year, yep. And so, uh, obviously, your founding coincides with the 
passage, uh, the 100th anniversary of the passage of um, the 19th Amendment, which ensured the right to vote for women, although we needed the Voting Rights Act to make that whole. Um, but it's very exciting that you all had the chance to celebrate your centennial. So with that being said, I wonder if, for anybody in the room that's not totally familiar with the League, if you can say a little bit about the League's mission and what your work looks like. Well, we are very excited to be celebrating the League Centennial. And it's not just a coincidence, because the founding uh, of the League was actually done by women who were leaders of the suffrage movement. And six months before the anticipation of the passing of the 19th Amendment, Carrie Chapman Catt and her associates not only wanted people, women, to be able to vote, but they also recognized the need for everyone to be informed voters. And so for 100 years, we've been a nonpartisan activist, grassroots organization that believes voters should play a critical role in democracy. So right from the beginning, our mission has been to educate and encourage all eligible voters to take their civic duty seriously. Our current mission statement remains true to our origins, empowering voters, defending democracy. So for 100 years, the League has fostered an informed electorate through candidate forums, policy studies, um, and voter information resources like 411, with a commitment to nonpartisanship, never supporting or opposing candidates or political parties, the League has fought for pro-democracy measures like election protection, democratic reforms, equal access to the ballot, and other vital issues. I mentioned that the League is a client of ours. You're a client in our challenge to the Marcy's Law ballot question. You were also a client on a case uh, here in Allegheny County. And I was reading the complaint about the Allegheny County case, and last, I think it was last year or 2018, the League of Women Voters of Greater Pittsburgh did 50 voter registration events. That's almost one a week. Oh yeah, we, we, we frequently do. And we started a high school registration project and it's just ballooning. We're being invited into high schools to do not just register voters, because what we discovered was that if you just register voters, about half of registered voters don't ever get to the voting to, to vote. And so we knew that people needed a more of an education about why it's important to vote. So we're getting into high school junior and senior classes and doing a mini civics um, program for them. And we're getting a tremendous amount of positive feedback from the kids and lots of registration. So I do want to talk a little bit about some of the news around election law. Um, obviously, we are now six to seven weeks out from Pennsylvania's primary. Um, we don't know what the state of the presidential election will be at that point, but I know that all throughout the Commonwealth, there are competitive primaries in both the Republican Party and in the Democratic Party. Uh, where I live outside of Harrisburg, um, we have competitive primaries for State House, State Senate, and U.S. House. So there are a lot of elections going on besides the presidential election. Um, and I wanted to start with some of the recent developments in election law. and. And then we'll get into some of the things that folks should be aware of as the election approaches. So let's start with the good news. Uh, in, in November, uh, the most sweeping changes to Pennsylvania's election law in probably 80 years passed. Passed the legislature and signed by the governor. Um, tell us a little bit about those changes. And what the league fought very hard to get those changes passed. Yep. I mean, we've been talking about some of those changes for years and years. And all of a sudden, we got this bonanza 
because a lot of them were passed in the same, in the same bill. So the, one of the most important things is the final day for registering to vote has been reduced from 30 days to 15 days. So you can register to vote um, for the primary election until April 13th. Um, the other major thing is that there's been a change in the absentee um, ballot measures. Um, there are now a mail-in ballot, and you do not have to have any excuse. You can just go online at votespa.com and then uh, order, uh, fill out a form, send it to your, or deliver it to your local county elections department by April 21st, and you will get a mail-in ballot, which you can deliver or send to, um, you can fill out at home and return to the elections department by 8 p.m. on election day. It used to be that you had to return it the Friday before election day. There was a big lawsuit about that. I don't yeah. know if it's been settled yet. Um, I don't know if it's, it's in process, <laughs> right, Sarah? That's the best one. way to put it. So um, that was the earliest deadline in the country, 5 p.m. Yeah. It had to be in the hands of the county election bureau by 5 p.m. on the Friday before election before day. Before the Tuesday of election day. Now yeah. it has to be in by 8 p.m. on the day of election. Uh, one negative part about it is that you used to be able to go and deliver your um, ballot to your local polling place, and now that is not going to be allowed. You have to you have to either mail it in in time or take it down to the county uh, department of elections. Um, so the shortcut. One of the things that I think Pennsylvanians love, and I had never seen, because I came from California, I had never seen before, was the um, top of the ballot, which allowed you to vote uh, one party or another. That's disappeared. You no longer are going to be able to do that. You're going to have to go through the whole ballot and choose the candidates that you want. Um, in May, I mean in April, for the April primary, there's going to be a new voting method. And that is something that the league has fought for for many years. And we are returning to the old-fashioned paper ballots. So when you go to um, the voting, your polling place, you will, be, you will have to sign in a book. Uh, currently, you sign a card that they hand you. It's now going to be a ledger. So you, they will find your name, and your signature will have to match the signature that they have on record for you. And then they will give you a paper ballot, which you will make out. Um, and then you will be scanning it into a scanning machine. And there's, there's material that you can take home at that table that describes the process and tells you what to watch out for. Uh, but everybody in the league is very excited because we feel that this is a much more secure way of voting. And it allows for a recount. Our current system of voting does not allow for a recount. So we have to believe what the machine tells us. And that was the, that's what Governor Wolf was pursuing in the first place, uh, the upgrades to the machines in every county. The Republicans in the legislature wanted to eliminate the straight party option 
Um, and then ultimately they came up with a bill that had all these other pieces that you mentioned, which is great because the league, the ACLU, have worked on these issues for years. Um, finally, we, had, we can do mail-in ballots without having a reason to do it. Um, it was a little bit of controversy, a little controversial because some folks wanted to keep the straight party ticket, but ultimately I know the ACLU felt and the league felt that all the positives in the bill far outweighed eliminating that straight party ticket. And I don't know any other, I mean, I don't know any state that does that. I mean, it's I, a minority of states, yeah, it's a small number. I mean, I had never seen such a thing. I can remember the first time I went into a polling place and saying, okay, all I have to do is push one button and I'm yeah. voted for everybody. Um, so yeah, that's quite a, some interesting. It's funny you say that because I gave a talk uh, earlier this week at a university and there was a student there from out of state and he said, I, I, what is that? I've never heard of that. Is that that's a thing? Um, so I do want to pivot over to some other news that's relevant to here in Allegheny County and it may impact other counties uh, in Pennsylvania potentially down the road. Uh, I want both of you, uh, Eileen and Sarah, to address this. There is a right-wing group called the Public Interest Legal Foundation that filed a federal lawsuit against Allegheny County over the maintenance of its voter registration list. In January, the county conducted a routine cleanup of its list and removed almost 70,000 voters who have been inactive or who are deceased. But PILF is saying the county has to purge more voters and Eileen, when you heard about this lawsuit, what was your reaction? What concerns did you have about what PILF is asking for? Well, the League is always very concerned about any activity that puts a barrier to someone being able to vote. And we make every effort to register voters. That's one of the primary things we do before elections and to assure them that they're going, they're, they are doing it in a timely fashion and will be able to vote in the next election. So any efforts to purge voter rolls this close to an election is an issue for us. And this kind of demand puts undue pressure on the Department of Elections to do something in a hurried way. And the League is confident that, that they already comply with the National Voter Registration Act rules about purging the voter list. So we don't understand why it's necessary to do more purging at the behest of one organization. So Sarah, this is where I want to bring you in. ACLUPA is co-counsel with DEMOS representing four voting rights organizations, including the League's local Pittsburgh branch uh, and the state affiliate. And these organizations want to intervene to defend the county. Can you explain what does that mean to be an intervener in a case? And, and what are the interests of our clients that would give them standing to do that? Yeah, so the organizations we represent, including the League of Women Voters, um, A. Philip Randolph Institute, and 1PA, um, are all very involved in registering voters, encouraging people to register to vote. And if you take people off the voting rolls, then that's going to directly impact people they may have helped register to vote, as well as perhaps deter people from registering to vote. So it has an impact on their ability to do their job. And so uh, we filed on their behalf a motion to intervene, um, saying that, look, this case is currently between PILF and Allegheny County, but we think that neither of those parties is gonna adequately represent the interests of the voters that are represented by these organizations. And so we wanna make sure that those voters have a seat at the table as well. Um, and so the federal courts do allow you to intervene in cases where uh, a third party may have an interest that's not represented by the uh, parties that are currently in the case. So as we sit here on March 12th, we're 
just over 40 days away from the primary election. Do you anticipate this case will resolve itself quickly or, you know, like, you know, we have an election pending? Yeah, so right now all that PILF has filed is a complaint, so there's not really anything for the court to act on. Litigation takes a long time, if anyone is familiar <laughs> with the slow pace of justice. Um, but, uh, but the one good thing is that federal law does have a provision that you can't actually do any kind of systematic purge, which is what PILF is asking the county to do. Nine, within 90 days of a federal election, and that includes the primary. So we, we're not going to have to worry about the county taking anybody off the rolls before the primary, and then we'll see what they decide to do before the general election. Um, but, uh, but again, you know, the, the ball is sort of in Pilf's court. They haven't taken any action to sort of get the court to rule on this um, in, in a way that, that would make a ruling happen but even before the general election. And just a reminder to folks, um, Marissa has index cards and pens. Um, so if you have questions about voting rights or, frankly, any civil liberties issue, um, <laughs> if it's outside of voting rights, it's funny, I didn't prepare Sarah for this at all. Pop uh, quiz. <laughs> right, if you have an ACLU question uh, outside of voting rights, we we will do our best to answer that. And maybe, Marissa, if you just want to put some cards on each table, that would, that would be great. Brenda, thank you. Um, so this is a question for both of you. From election to election, we see similar problems showing themselves again and again, uh, especially in a high turnout election like 2020. What are your recommendations so that their voting experience is as smooth as possible? What should voters be aware of? Eileen, why don't you start? Well, we urge voters to make a plan, to think about it ahead of time, uh, to know when the voting date is, um, check where your polling place is, how are you, decide how you're gonna get there. Are you gonna need a ride? Are you gonna have to take time off from work? Have you talked to your boss about that? How are you gonna get there? Are you gonna need help? Or is somebody that you're helping bring to the polls gonna need help? We have a vote, uh, a website called vote411.org where we list all of the candidates that are running and we ask them to put in their information and to ask and we ask them to answer some questions about what their policies are with regard to certain issues and so you can research your candidates by looking by typing in your um, home address and it'll bring up your particular ballot with your particular candidates which you can actually print out, uh, and it'll also allow you to compare candidates for the same office side by side. So make a decision ahead of time. Uh, print out a ballot. Um, also, this particular election, as you all know, there are some concerns about the COVID-19 virus, um, and we're concerned about how that's going to affect voting. Uh, whether people will stay away from the polls. So um, one of the things we're telling is take advantage of this new mail-in ballot uh, possibility. Uh, you can go in right now and order and download the form to uh, ask for a mail-in ballot. And then when you uh, get it, which will be within 10 days of the election, um, and you don't have to be sick or disabled to do it. Um, there are two options online at uh, votespa.com. Uh, one is called the absentee ballot, and the other one's called the mail-in ballot. And if you find that strange, it is strange. And the reason there's both options is because the absentee ballot is part of the state 
Constitution. This is an example of something should not be in the Constitution because when you try to change the law, it's very difficult to change. So what they did was they left the absentee ballot as part of an option, but then they added this called mail-in ballot. And you can apply for either one. If you qualify for, uh, regularly for an absentee ballot because you're ill or you're gonna be out of town, you can apply for that one. Otherwise, you can apply for the mail-in one. Um, so take advantage of this new, new law and vote by mail. And Sarah, you've been, I guess I could say you've been our point lawyer on election <laughs> protection for a while. You've been through quite a few elections. Um, what are some of the things you see over and over again from election to election? So one of the, the biggest problems we see every single election is people who have, are registered to vote, they either have been registered for many years or they have registered close to the election, and for some reason they don't show up on the voting rolls. And, and it's, in Pennsylvania, that is a really tough situation to be in because we don't have same-day registration. And I'm worried that this is going to get any, even worse this year. I mean, it's great that we've reduced the amount of time people have to register to vote before the election, but the counties have already historically had problems uh, processing those voter registrations, especially when they get a lot of them close to the election. So my, one of my top recommendations is well before the election, you know, check um, the PA Votes website, you can check your uh, registration status, check that, make sure you're registered, and if you're not, you can clear it up, you know, figure out why it's not showing up or even register to vote again um, for the election. And, you know, one of the reasons people fall off the rolls is because of these voter purges that happen um, where the counties do sort of these systematic efforts to clean up their rolls, but they use um, information that might not be accurate or they try to match people based on like parts of their names or you know they use the I think Social Security has like a master death uh, file that they use and some people in that file are not dead and so there's a lot of reasons that you could be taken off the, the rolls without knowing about it so it's always good to make sure that you're still on the rolls well in advance of election day so that doesn't happen to you the other thing I would say is memorize this number it's one eight six six hour vote O-U-R-V-O-T-E and that is a number, it's a hotline, it's a nationwide hotline, it's answered live, usually up to two weeks before, especially the general election. And if you have any questions about voting or if you have any problems voting, there are volu trained volunteers who can help you with that. They'll even tell you where your polling place is if you're not sure where it is or look up your voter registration. And the website that Eileen's been mentioning, votespa.com, you can also check your registration there as well. Sorry. Um, uh, I was gonna something? say that one of the groups of people that often have problems are students yes. at the university because they often they can't remember if they're registered to vote in their home state they or they have registered late after they've enrolled in school and they are and there's often a lot of confusion on college campuses and there are efforts to prevent those students from voting a lot of times so there are people who will kind of patrol the area and, and challenge a student who may be unsure of what, where, you know, what address. Maybe he moved since the last time he registered to vote to a different apartment and he didn't, he forgot and he needs to go to a different polling place. So there are people at the voting sites who will help a voter protection people and league members are often part of that team that'll help those situations. But students in particular should be paying attention to making sure they're registered and that they know where they're supposed to go. 
So one of the common misconceptions we hear repeatedly is a lack of clarity about the voting rights of people with a criminal record. Sarah, can you explain what voting rights people with a record have in Pennsylvania? Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, um, if you are not in jail or prison, you have the right to vote. Um, the only exception is if you are convicted within four years of an election law related crime, which is not a very common crime. So <laughs> if you're not in jail or prison, you absolutely can vote regardless of your criminal charges, with that caveat. Um, if you are in jail, if you're there pre-trial, or if you've been convicted of a misdemeanor, you can also vote. You can use an absentee ballot to vote. The only people who can't vote um, are people who've been convicted of felonies and are currently serving time in prison for those felonies. And it's amazing how many people, especially people who have committed felons, think that they no longer have the right yep. to vote. We've had to correct a lot of misinformation, um, probation officers telling their clients they can't vote. Um, the, some of you might remember um, a number, I don't know, 15 years ago, we filed a lawsuit against the Port Authority of Allegheny County because they wouldn't run an ad. We wanted to put on the buses educating people about their right to vote if they had a criminal conviction. Um, so there is a lot of misinformation that we've been trying to correct um, because Pennsylvania is, you know, ha is one of the better states in terms of the law on, on people being able to vote with criminal convictions. And for those of you in the room or anybody listening to this on the podcast, um, our website, aclupa.org, has a fact sheet on this issue. If you go to the voting rights page, you can pull that down. If you know anybody that's in that situation, um, just be clear with them that, hey, you, you do have the right to vote. This is another question for both of you. So what is your take on the state of election administration in Pennsylvania? What are the strengths? Uh, where do you think the Commonwealth has room for improvement? Eileen, why don't you go first? Well, we think the Department of State is doing a good job in general. I mean, they've been very supportive of, of updating and improving the, the voting laws. They have, approved, they have improved voting access by implementing this online voter registration, what they did two or three years ago. And, that, and the votespa.com website is absolutely excellent and easy to navigate. Um, they, it has very good, reliable information for any kind of a voter. So we think that um, they're doing a pretty good job. Obviously, there are things that we would like to change still. And locally, the Department of Elections is very cooperative with the League when we've needed access to candidate information. The League has lobbied for same-day registration so that persons can register or change their registration because of a change of address or party affiliation at the same time as they go to vote. That's still a dream for us. <laughs> and we also would like to have a movement towards open primaries so that everyone gets a vote in the selection of the candidates rather than only those registered in two of the parties. And Sarah, from your perspective, what do you see as some of the strengths and some of the areas for improvement in, in election administration? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, so I've been doing election protection since the 2008 presidential election, and I mean, I think that Pennsylvania has gone from perhaps having some of the hardest, uh, <laughs> making, being one of the hardest states to vote in, um, to maybe being in the middle. <laughs> I don't think we're one of the easiest, but I think the mail-in mail ballots are going to make a huge difference. Um, moving up the registration deadline is really important, too. Um, but I think the biggest challenge in Pennsylvania is the lack of resources devoted to election administration. It's very much done at the county level. Um, you know, counties, I think, are constantly under-resourced in terms of the, uh, the funding and the staff that they have to, you know, conduct something that is so important to our democracy, you know, being able, people being able to vote. And, you know, I don't think, you know, it's, it's any kind of 
ideological um, issue. I think it really just comes down to resources. So we do have a few questions. Um, we have one here about the PILF lawsuit. So the question is, what specific changes is PILF looking for? That it, what voter characteristics are they challenging? So it's, I guess it's essentially a question of what is the basis of their argument? So, so my understanding is that they, are, they did their own sort of check somehow <laughs> of the, the people on the registration rolls and um, decided that there were some people who shouldn't be there. But I think that the analysis that they used is flawed. Um, and, uh, and so you know, it, the idea that we're going to let some other, some kind of third party group who knows who funds them come in and, and go, you know, and, and say, that, no, you have to believe our check of the registration rolls over the county's own check of the registration rolls is really problematic. I mean, I think that, you know, the concerns about the accuracy of the registration rolls goes, or the voting rolls goes back again to the funding issue. You know, I don't think that the counties are purposely like, I mean, conservatives have been trying for years to try to find, you know, people who are, are voting more than once in an election. They haven't been able to do it, right? They, with all their voter ID laws, n none of that, has, they haven't been able to find anybody like that. But, um, and so they're concerned that, oh, well, if you're on the reg registration rules, you might vote twice. But that's really such a slight concern because most of the people, like when you move to, say, a different state, technically you are supposed to tell, you know, your old state or your old um, county that you have moved. Most people don't do that, right? And so sometimes you'll end up, you might be on the registration rolls in Pennsylvania and California. Are you going to travel back to Pennsylvania to vote? No, people don't do that. Like they, they found no evidence that that, actually, that fraud actually ever happens, but you still have somewhat inaccurate voting rolls. And there was somebody close to this lawsuit who I talked to who said there are so many universities in Allegheny County that you end up with students who are here, they vote in a presidential election, and then they leave, and, but they're still on the rolls. It just takes time to, to clear them out. So if they're not voting, if they don't show up at a polling place, I mean, yeah, it's, an, it's a name that shouldn't be on the polling, but they're not committing, nobody's committing any fraud or committing any crime. So I have a couple of ACLU questions not related to elections, uh, Sarah. <laughs> um, I heard the ACLU sued UPMC in Allegheny County. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday we filed a lawsuit um, along with a, a, a local law firm here, um, Tim O'Brien, um, and uh, on behalf of two women who um, were went to UPMC hospitals, McGee and Mercy, to deliver their babies. Um, unbeknownst to them, they were drug tested. One of them had an unconfirmed positive result for marijuana and the baby tested negative and the hospital social worker came to her, into her room and said, well, you had this unconfirmed positive result for marijuana, your baby's negative, but we have to report you to CYF. And she was like, can you do the test again? I've never used marijuana, I don't understand what's happening here. And they're like, nope, we're just gonna report you. And that resulted in like a months long CYS investigation of her family, you know, right when she's bringing home a newborn. Um, the other woman had told her doctor she thought in confidence, you know, during one of her prenatal appointments that, yes, she had used marijuana in the past, but hasn't used it since she became pregnant. Somehow that got communicated um, to by UPMC to CYF that she had used marijuana early in her pregnancy. That was the only, she tested negative for any drugs. Her baby tested negative for any drugs. Nonetheless, UPMC revealed her confidential medical information to CYF and CYF started an investigation. They're going to her home, doing a search of her home, an inspection, interviewing her four-year-old son. You know, simply, that is the only thing it's based on. 
um, according to her file. So, you know, we think that UPMC should not, first, they shouldn't be doing drug tests of women without their knowledge or consent. Second, they shouldn't be reporting confidential medical information that they're not required to report under state law to, UP, to CYF. And third, CYF should not be investigating women simply based on these unconfirmed uh, and in one case, not even a positive result um, for drug use during pregnancy, um, you know, and invading families at a time that is like supposed to be like joyful and, and precious, and it's a limited amount of time you have with the newborn, and and they just you know re really really harm these women with these practices. I'm from the Harrisburg area, but from what I understand, uh, no one will shed a tear for UPMC being sued. <laughs> um, so I have another question that's related to one of your loss, one of the cases you're working on, Sarah. Um, what's the latest on the case about medical marijuana and probation and about probation reform? So I can probably talk about probation yeah. reform, but if you want to address the medical marijuana yeah. case. Yeah, so we have a case pending in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court on behalf of medical marijuana patients who also happen to be on probation in Lebanon County. In September, the county put in place a policy that a, a handful of other counties in Pennsylvania also have, saying that if you're on probation, you're not allowed to use medical marijuana. So it's basically telling people, well, if you're on probation, you cannot use a medicine that the legislature has approved for your use, that your doctor has advised for your use, because the court knows best. Um, you know, one of our, our lead plaintiff, Melissa Gash, she has severe epilepsy. She went from having multiple seizures a day to a couple a month by using this special like, medic, like marijuana tincture that she just rubs on her gums when she feels a seizure coming on. And you know, the, the judge nonetheless would want to deprive her of that you know, medicine that's allowing her to, to live her life and work and care for her kids. So um, you know, we filed this case against the, the Lebanon County Court of Common Pleas. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court felt like it was important enough that they decided to, to take, take it from the Commonwealth Court and hear it themselves. Um, so we are, our reply brief is due on uh, a week from Monday, <laughs> and then at that point the, the court will schedule arguments. But the, the importance of this case is that there are other counties that are doing the same thing, and, and if we get a decision you know, in our favor from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, then that's going to set the rule for everyone, because also people shouldn't be treated differently based on what county they happen to have, um, be on probation in. And on the probation reform question, there are a couple of bills in the state legislature that would reform probation. Um, we see probation as a feeder into the jail system. It seems like on its face like it's an alternative to incarceration because you're on probation, you're out in the community. But in fact, it's such an onerous system on people that they merely not following the rules of their probation can send them to jail. Um, Pennsylvania is one of just eight states that has no caps on how long a person can be on probation. Um, most famously, the hip-hop artist Meek Mill was on probation for 10 years, I believe. Uh, he was on probation for an extended period of time. And this is not unusual. Um, we have a partner here in Allegheny County, a gentleman named Darrell Key, who was on the last episode of the podcast, if you want to check it out. Um, Darrell came home from prison in 2013, and he started on parole and will be on probation until 2027. So he's been home for seven years and has seven more years to go on probation. So we have these bills in the legislature, Senate Bill 14 um, and House Bill 1555. Senate Bill 14 uh, implements several really good reforms. It puts caps on how long a person can be on probation, five years for a felony, three years for a misdemeanor. It allows people to come off probation if they have no violations, they can come off early. 
Um, it also prohibits incarcerating people if they have, um, if they're too poor to pay their fines and fees. So it's a really good bill. House Bill 1555 had a little bit of drama. It had all of those good provisions, but in the House Judiciary Committee, it was amended to not only take out the good provisions, but also add a provision that would allow courts to do exactly what Sarah described. A judge could decide, nah, you can't use your medical marijuana, or you can't use any other prescription drug that you need. Um, it also allowed probation officers to do searches of people on probation without cause which they can't do right now. So we actually took the unusual step of going from supporting this bill to opposing it. That's House Bill 1555. So our hope is that <laughs> in the sausage making that happens in the legislature, that some good will come out of this. When Brenda introduced me, she talked about all the years I spent at the legislature. At some point, you just haven't, you've had enough of it and you walk away, which is what <laughs> I did. Um, but it is a process, and thankfully, we have a really great legislative director now, Elizabeth Randall. She goes in and she's a, she's a scrapper. She goes in and fights and, and argues and, and works really hard at it. So, um, we're hoping that bill can get to the governor in um, some positive form. So those are the questions we have. Uh, Sarah, Eileen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you all very much for your attention and for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who came out for our live podcast in Pittsburgh, and especially to Eileen Olmsted of the League of Women Voters of Greater Pittsburgh and Sarah Rose of ACLUPA. That's a wrap on episode 39. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, the host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be healthy and be free. <laughs>